Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. I am so glad to be back this week after a break. Um, I was on my honeymoon. I know, it's very exciting. But I am just so, so, so incredibly back. Glad to be back. (laughs) And this week's episode is so fucking lit. I am so excited. So um, today's guest is Calvin Michael West. He is a coach. He's a healer, teacher, activator. Um, We go into his incredible personal story. He's trans. He's been trans for 18 years. And um, his view of the world and his world experiences are just so incredible to hear. So the theme of today's show is transition and personal liberation. And we go deep on those subjects. So I really hope you enjoy the episode. Um, Before we get to it, I always want to do my personal check-in. And so I'll talk a little bit about my honeymoon, which was incredible. So full disclosure, I got married about a year and a half ago. Um, Our original honeymoon was supposed to be for the Patagonia Eclipse Festival in December of last year. Um, Obviously, that festival, I mean, we couldn't even travel to Argentina um, at the time. Um, So the festival did not exist, or it did, but it was just for locals. I don't really know what happened. Anyway, point being, we didn't go, and my sweet, sweet husband um, decided to come up with a plan B, which was just incredible. So we went to Mexico, um, we went to Sayulita and Puerto Vallarta, and spent just day after day after day on the beach. Um, It was incredible. Um, (laughs) There's nothing quite like sitting on the beach in Mexico and just having every single item of food brought to you. (laughs) Um, It was awesome. But we did finish the trip, unfortunately, with a serious bout of food poisoning, probably from all the delicious um, food that I was just munching on every single day. Uh, So it was an interesting experience. I think this is the worst food poisoning I've ever had in my entire life. At one point, I was like, I mean, I was just like lying on the floor in the bathroom because that was the most comfortable position, obviously. Um, (laughs) My husband did a run to the store and I was like crying, asking for saltines and Gatorade. Definitely a low point in my life. (laughs) Um, But I don't know if you've ever been sick and like asking for what you like truly need is just like the hardest thing in the world. (laughs) So that's where I was. And at one point I was lying on the bathroom floor and I just had this vision of a light at the end of a tunnel and it looked so comfortable and warm and delicious. And um, I decided to live. (laughs) I decided to keep going. But it was definitely, um, it was a journey. And I feel like a whole new person. I did some like interesting um, kind of self-talk through the whole entire experience. Um, I think usually it would feel just so incredibly bad for myself um, because I was on vacation and it was my honeymoon and I was in pain and it was in so much pain. Uh, And it was just a really uncomfortable experience. 
But this time around, I was just kind of like, yeah, this is happening. Like, there's going to be a day when I don't feel sick anymore. And there's going to be a time when my tummy's not in pain anymore. And for some reason, like that, just like self-coaching, like made the whole experience so much easier. Don't get me wrong. It was very painful. But like I didn't feel like a victim, I guess. I I just felt like this is life. We're going to do this. And then it's going to be over. I spent the next day in bed. I didn't – I mean, I got up to watch the sunset, and that was about it. That Even that was a bit of a push. <laughs> and then the next day we flew home. So it was um, a powerful ending to an amazing trip, and I don't recommend it for anyone. I don't wish it on anyone, but it seemed very different. I just had a very different approach, which made the whole thing – so much easier. So wanted to share that. A little a little win, a little vacation win for me. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was interesting. And then, of course, when I got home, I, like, didn't want to make the whole trip about the food poisoning, but it was kind of hard because it was the last thing. And it definitely kind of put, like, a little exclamation point on the entire experience. <laughs> but TBH, can't wait to go back to Mexico. I feel like there's just so many places I haven't explored there. And honestly, I can't wait to just keep eating all the food that um, is offered to me on the beach. Donuts. Donuts was one of the things that, that was sold on the beach. It was incredible. Like, who thought that – we should sell donuts on the beach. Mexicans, it's amazing. They're geniuses. <laughs> Shrimp on a stick. There was just so like <laughs> food that I never would have thought of was being um, being sold. It was just incredible. Incredible. Um, so yeah, so that is my check-in. And without further ado, let's get into today's show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Lit AF, Calvin. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Oh my God. This has been a long time in the making, so it's finally happening and we are here. It's amazing. (laughs) So I'm going to introduce Calvin really quick. So Calvin West is a certified professional coach, a healer, a teacher, an activator, a systems thinker, and a dot connector. He calls his own approach coaching plus. Fucking love that. Because it's much more than traditional coaching. He brings in his own energetic gifts and teachings, human design, the Enneagram, internal family systems, neuroscience, and more to help people redesign how they participate in the world around them so they can have more harmony, peace, joy, fun, and ease in life. These are like all my favorite words. He believes healing <laughs> is a is not a one-size-fits-all approach. Love that. And has an eclectic toolbox of things to help the people drawn to his work. His latest project, In Healing We Trust, was started was started the way most things are to solve a need. He works with clients one-on-one, does workshops and trainings, and you can find vetted healers of all different types that he's personally worked with over the years on InHealingWeTrust.com. And we'll talk more about how to get in touch with Calvin at the end, but welcome to the show. Mm, Thank you, Sarah. What a delight to be here. So I am – I – I'm just so excited for this conversation today. You are so many things. You've experienced so many things. You've learned from so many things. 
Um, and I'm just going to say at the top that we've discussed this, what we're talking about today, and the theme for today really truly is transition and personal libera- liberation. So we're going to talk mm-hmm. about your story about both of those things as a trans man and as someone that has just done so much of their own healing. Um mm. And I'm really, I have been so inspired by all of your stories and just ownership of your background and your life. And so I'm Mm, really excited for everyone to hear it today. Sarah, thank you for saying that. Yeah. I mean, man, peeps, if you can ride in the draft of this journey and get some nuggets, please do. (laughs) Please do. Hopefully that kind of makes it worth it. (laughs) It's not easy. Yeah. Oh my God. It's not easy. And I, what I hope to kind of bring forward today is walking through my background in a way that I think will help people get some windows into what it really looks like to kind of practically deal with your shit and Mm. own your shit Mm. and how much power we really do have kind of already inside of us. And look, I'm going to say some stuff today that a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, I would be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> what is coming out of your mouth? Did you just say that? Um, is that so, the best? That is the best. I just I, had that moment the other I mean, day. <laughs> uh, so I just, and, and, you know, I, I might say some things today. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth today, but I might say some things today and it might sound like I've got it all figured out mm. and, you know, I'm just living life large, but you know, everything I'm going to say today, I need to hear myself Mm. over and over and over again and take what serves you now, you know, for the folks listening to this, just some stuff are going to, it might resonate with you and some might not, and that's okay. Mm. Uh, But I, I think we can, we can see ourselves in other people. And when we do that, that's kind of humanity at its best, I think. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. All right. So let me jump in because I've, I've, I'm 38. I've had a lot of shit down in my life. Um, and so should we just let's do it? I want to hear. I want to hear everything. Let's start with your background, <laughs> yeah. your upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm 38. I've been living life as a trans man for 18 years which also means I've been incredibly horny for 18 years because that's what testosterone does to you. Surprise. <laughs> and yeah, you know, that's one of the differences. There's, there's a lot of things that I can look back at my life and say, okay, marked difference between pre-trans life, post-trans life. It's like, yeah, when we have conversations about dudes being horny, like I fucking get it now. <laughs> By the way, not an excuse for fucking anything that happens. Thank you. Thank you. Zero percent excuse, but it's a reality. Like, okay, got that. Um, All right. So I'm the oldest of four kids and uh, my parents were teenagers when they had me. So that basically means I grew up fast like a chia pet (laughs) and, you know, really kind of had to bear a lot of responsibility um, as a child. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but you know, growing up in poverty and eating kind of empty, sugary, welfare foods. Um, What that also kind of gave me, you know, and I I wore other people's hand-me-downs and, you know, we didn't get to do a lot of things. And um, 
you know, there's a whole kind of trauma system within growing up in, in, in poverty around that. But what I had to kind of work through and I'm still working through every day is that scarcity mentality mm. and how to move past that. And, um, you know, as I started to make more money and, and, and start to have more safety and security around that, then this really interesting survival's, survivor's guilt thing showed up, Whoa. which I didn't, I wasn't really aware that that could happen, you know, in that kind of a context. So that, that was kind of a new thing to be like, oh shit, you've been run. this survivor's guilt's been running in the background, you know, mm-hmm. all these things, right. That I think we'll talk about and maybe won't even get to today. They run in the background of our lives and we don't even know it. And then we find ourselves like having that spinning rainbow wheel on a MacBook mm-hmm. and being like, what the fuck is wrong? Mm-hmm. And so I'm just kind of hoping to connect with folks and help them understand what are these things humming in the background that are really kind of slowing them down and becoming this white noise that gets in the way between their own inner voice and who they really are and kind of what's happening out in the world. Amazing. So hopefully, hopefully we get there today. Um, but what else? I started working at age 12. Uh, I, I was working in my, my Nana had a tattoo shop. I started working there. It was a rite of passage in the family. Um, I'm the only one that did that though. Everyone else was like, nope, I don't want that. Um, <laughs> and you know, there was, there was a lot of chatter around kind of taking that over. And so I, I, I spent my teenage years kind of working there and I saw a lot of, a lot of crazy shit you see working in a tattoo shop. Um, <laughs> And this other thing I've really had to kind of reconcile with, which I did not understand until recently, was how much fear has been living in my body and has been kind of encoded in my nervous system that I couldn't even access. And so as a kid, I was kind of perpetually afraid of my father's anger and his relationship to substances Mm. and the havoc that that kind of the unpredictability and the the stress and the fear and the... the, um, Oh, just the shit that comes with that. And being the oldest kind of the role I, I stepped into as a protector and as a, you know, being hypervigilant and kind of 10 steps ahead for myself and for my family. But also uh, for most of my childhood that I lived in, uh, our, the house we lived in was haunted. Whoa. And so if my father wasn't around and the feelings that came with that, this ghost was. Oh my God. And it didn't occur to me until much later in life. Like my nervous system was essentially on high alert 24 seven. Yeah. And the irony is that my dad was kind of the only energy that could make this ghost go away. (laughs) So (laughs) like damned if you do, damned if you don't. (laughs) There were moments when, you know, there really was no respite. I did learn, however, as a, as a kid that this particular ghost did not like rap music. So I got very into rap music and I actually kind of like leaned into that identity pretty hard um, (laughs) as a kid. And I was like, um, you know, House of Pain and uh, <laughs> Coolio and Dr. Dre, just like everybody. Um, yeah, right. And so I've had to kind of like decompress for that. And I just saw a lot of violence growing up. So violence in my home, violence in my community, violence on my street, uh, violence at school, violence kind of everywhere. And I did not understand that I had become acclimated to such a level of nervous system 
high alertness. And it really kind of took what I hope we get into around this healing process to, to understand what it felt like to bring that level down. And what I hope to talk about today too, um, if I don't blab about my background forever, is how uncomfortable it feels to decompress the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And it actually fucking feels scary, but it's so worth it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people could benefit from permission to, to be with that discomfort because it is part of the path to liberation mm. in a way I did not understand before. Mm. That is so real. Yeah. Um, so I, at 13, I originally came out as a lesbian mm. and super conservative town. Um, and, uh, and then at 21, I came out, I grew up in a really conservative town. Where did you grow um, I grew up in Southern California in a really small town called Lancaster. Mm part of the Mojave Desert. Mm -hmm. And um, now I think it's like a strip mall palace, but back then it was, you know, not that populated. Mm. Um, We had one gay bar, it was called The Back Door. You went in through the back door and- Love. (laughs) Everybody loves a good back door, (laughs) now. (laughs) I know. Thank you back for never throwing me out when I was underage and trying to figure out who I was, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, and then I, I, um, I did get a sense when I was kind of sixteen. I don't know, maybe a little bit before that. It's hard to know uh, that being a lesbian wasn't really it for me. But I had had some experiences um, with trans people in person and also in the media that basically reinforced a message to me that. Um, you will not have community, you will not have a job, you will be labeled mentally ill, nobody is going to love you. And I thought, I don't want that life. So I better find a way to make being a lesbian work for me, even though it is better than where I was, but it does not feel like home. And so I saw a lot of violence around that. I mean, I've been in places where the police have come and knocked the door down and like drug a trans kid out and said, you're going to jail, you're a runaway, or, you know, there's just been so many things that I've seen. Um, and so it wasn't until I was in San Francisco and I, I, I met a random dude at a bar. He was a friend of a friend. I think his name was Zach. I don't know. And if this story rings true to anybody, dude, thank you. But I, <laughs> I learned through chatting with him that he was trans. And I mm. thought, holy shit, you have a smile on your face. You have a good paying job. You have great energy. You're having a beautiful conversation with me. And that unlocked this idea that I could choose the kind of person I wanted to be. Amazing. That I, I could write my own way. Mm. And that that kind of gave me a sense of freedom that I had never had before. And then I, I really kind of listened to that voice inside of me. I mean, dude, side story about how the signs of being trans were there young, but I didn't know it in, I don't know, whatever, fifth grade or whatever that grade is where you have to watch the puberty videos. Yeah. <laughs> to get a permission slip for that. I do not remember the conversation I had with my mom to say, I do not want to watch this video. But I do remember, and, and, and she supported me in that and said, okay, no. And so the kids are getting ready to leave and the teacher pulls me outside and says, hey, uh, how come you're not going to watch this video about puberty? 
And I looked at her, my, and this is my memory, of course, I looked at her so seriously and I said, well, because I'm never getting my period, so why do I need to watch this video? <laughs> and, she's like, and this like 50-something-year-old woman did not know what to do with what came out of this tomboy's mouth. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what that meant for me, right? Like, I didn't know. But you knew I, it. I didn't understand. You knew. I mean, I knew it, right? But I didn't know the implications of that. So... Okay. What else, what else, um, what else do I want to say about that? So here's what I want to say. What I want to say about this experience of being queer, what that kind of imprinted for me that I've had to unlearn is that people don't understand me. Mm. People don't get me that systems don't like me. Mm. Systems do not want me. And that really started to imprint this idea of low self-worth, which by the way, is already there just from being a human. Exactly. Yes. You know, yes. Yes. I was not good in school at all. Like, I don't know the difference between a verb and an adjective. Nobody believes that about me. <laughs> Under my head, 50-50 chance, I'm gone. <laughs> okay. It's, I don't know. I my brain cells just don't <laughs> information. Okay. And whenever I say that, people are like, Calvin, this is how you learn. I'm like, okay, look, every, thank you. No, thank you. I, it, I'm not getting my period I'm and I eight. don't need to know the difference between a noun and a verb. Okay. <laughs> stop. Just stop helping me. <laughs> so, and I, you know, I don't have a college degree either. Mm-hmm. I, it was a system that did not work for me. Mm-hmm. I carried a lot of shame around that. I worked my fucking ass off for years to prove that I deserved that I deserved to be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, not to mention I deserve love and I deserve like the money in my bank account and whatever I had that was a departure from poverty and violence and any of these beautiful things that I was cultivating in my life. And um, so, yeah, I think that led me this drive to prove myself and that I am worthy and lovable and capable and smart mm-hmm. against people I was comparing myself that I like, you have a degree, but you're actually kind of shitty at your job. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's a, it, you know, it's a life lie that I created for myself and mm-hmm. I, I, I fed into that. So um that kind of put me on a path of becoming dependent on my friend vodka and my friend marijuana <laughs> and really numbing, you know, just numbing the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And what I was numbing was that low hum in the background times fucking how many. Mm-hmm. I am kind of cussing a lot in this episode. So I'm sorry, not sorry about that. Um, actually. The show's called Lit AF, which stands for as fuck. <laughs> So yeah, so if you're gonna work with me, this is just part of the deal. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for being real. Yeah. So curious though, so, when when did the numbing out? What age did the numbing out start? Oh. You know, not when I was around 16 or 17, this is um, I will answer your question, but when I was around 16 or 17, my dad, bless his heart pulled the bong out and said, I'm going to teach you how to smoke weed and drink beer and not throw up because I know you're going to start going to parties. Wow. Okay. And, you know, one perspective of that is actually like really sweet and endearing. And yeah. there's another perspective of that that is like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, but what that did for me is it actually, um, it created distance between me and drugs mm. and drinking because I did not want to follow in the footsteps of my father. And it really scared me actually. Um, so I didn't really start 
drinking. I mean, I, I wasn't, I drank a little bit socially and I didn't do any drugs and, you know, I've never done cocaine and there's, uh, Wow. I've done pretty much all the psychedelics, though. Uh, I've never done cocaine because I am afraid I will like it and it will become a problem that I cannot manage. Mm-hmm. But it really does, in the soul of my body, feel um, scary. Smart. Not and worth it. Let me tell you. It's just not worth it. Don't do no. it. Don't do it. No, I won't. I won't. It, it feels like life and death for me. So mm-hmm. I, I just have to say that. Smart. You know, I've done every psychedelic and um, other things. Uh, not heroin. Um, or crystal meth, actually. So I think those are the three things I've said no to. Okay. Okay. Just you know, the real life ruiners, mm-hmm. uh, the quick ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, but it really became once I started to get into the workforce and I started to kind of prove myself, uh, or, or, or feel the need to prove myself in a really major way mm. that I didn't know. I mean, I just, I, I thought I could think my way out of my pain mm-hmm. and when that didn't work, I just poured vodka all over it. Mm. Been there, been there. Yeah. Yeah. Half, I feel like half my annual paycheck used to just go to my drinking <laughs> habit because of my inability to process feelings <laughs> and then chasing that significance. So tell me about like, what were you, what do you think that you were chasing and or running from in those moments? Yeah. What a good question. Um, When we are told growing up that who we are is not good enough, and we're told that in all these little tiny ways, here's what, this is my belief that I'm kind of working with right now. When we get those messages from people and then they leave our space or our life or whatever it is, we, ca- we pick up that sign that they were carrying that says you suck mm-hmm. and we carry that and we bully ourselves. We become the number one bulliers to ourselves. And then we cut those parts of us off from us because we do not want to feel the pain that is caused by our bullying. And when I started to get pretty serious about my healing, it's when I made the decision to no longer bully these parts of me, but to believe them, but to see them to hear them, to feel them. And I, I have spent my whole life trying to be seen by parents that were too young to be parents and did not have the tools given to them, by classmates that didn't understand my intuitive system thinking, gender bending, humor, humorous ways, then by colleagues, and then just by community people And it wasn't until I realized that if I wanted to be seen, I had to see myself first. Mm. And by continuing to bully these parts of me, I was telling myself, I'm not going to see you either. Mm. That fucking changed everything for me. I stopped talking to myself in abusive ways. And I told myself, I am only going to talk to myself with the love and compassion and care, I would talk to someone I really do care about. Mm. So when this language comes in, it's like, Calvin, what the fuck are you doing, you idiot? I just pause my body and I say, hey, buddy, we don't talk like that anymore here. Mm. That's not what we do. Come back with some new language. Mm. It's a daily practice. And now I'm kind of at the place, because I've been doing this for a while, where when I do some dumb shit, I just go, 
Calvin, you are so silly. What are you doing right now? You know, I'm like, hey, buddy, where are you? What's up? What? You are not here. You are someplace else. What's going on? And it just, it is about that self-compassion. It is about, um, I mean, oh, God, it's really cliche, but when you love yourself, right? And here's the deal. There's love and then there's acceptance. And what I started to do, because like loving myself felt like mm, fucking far away. What, where's that place? I don't even know. I don't even know what that feels like. But when I started to just actually accept myself where I was at, mm-hmm. so, okay, hey, Calvin, you're not tall enough to reach that. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Cool. Am I going to beat myself up about that? That's a choice I'm making, mm-hmm. right? If I'm going to then say like, you little shorty ass motherfucker, that's a choice I'm making, right? But for some reason, we don't see that perspective the same when we make a typo on email mm-hmm. or when we forget to buy something at the grocery store, right? We don't say like, oh, shit, damn, mm-hmm. next time. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, all right, I didn't do that. Let me make a plan to, let me make a plan to make that happen. We just immediately go into, you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. You're not perfect. You made a mistake. But what can we really learn from that, right? So mm, I wasn't present. I was doing 10,000 fucking things. That's why I forgot to get this at the grocery store. Mm. Or I'm just not a good speller. Yeah, you're going to get some emails from me that have typos. <laughs> I've had to be okay with that. Yeah, yes. Oh, I love like, that. And if you're the type of person that can't see what I have to offer because I have typos, you're not my people. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 You're just not my people. Mm. And I wish the best for you because you, you know, there's something there for you. So, hmm, what else? That was really beautiful. Can I, um, I want to ask a question. So talk to me about the difference between love and acceptance for you. Mm. Yeah, great question. For me, what acceptance looks and feels like is just straight reality, straight Mm -hmm. facts, like not wanting myself to be someone I'm not. Mm -hmm not willing myself to be someone that I'm not. It's meeting myself at the level I am and saying, all right, hey, Calvin, this is where you're at. Mm. Um, And then I get to have a conversation with myself to say, do I want to change that Mm. actually? Do I want to change that or does my ego want to change that, right? And if I do want to change that, is it because I genuinely want that skill or I genuinely want that ability Or is it because I think that skill or that ability is going to get me something in community Mm -hmm. or get something in a relationship Mm -hmm. or provide for me in something? So that I think is a big part of the difference, right? Mm -hmm. And then the loving comes after we have that self-compassion in my personal opinion, Mm -hmm. which is to say like, hey, I see you where you're at. Mm -hmm. Um, When kids are learning how to walk, we do not admonish them when they fall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We celebrate them getting back up again. And we can give that gift to ourselves every fucking day. Mm-hmm. Every day. We make a choice. We make a choice to replay the bullying narrative that was given to us. And when we do that, we give away our power. And we do so much more damage to ourselves. And we hold that in our nervous system. And it's so fucking toxic. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. but also I say that, but I also want to like wrap a big hug around this and say, 
we've adopted this because we these behaviors because at one point they kept us safe. At one point, they were really essential for our survival. We needed to reject these parts of us to fit into a dynamic to maybe stay in our family so that we had shelter and food. Mm-hmm. But we are not those kids anymore. We are resourced adults now that have an opportunity and an invitation to make new choices. Mm-hmm. And I know it is not that easy as like flip a switch, make a new choice. It takes some work. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes some belief that you deserve it. It takes having people around you that can be a mirror to you to say, let me tell you what I see. Mm-hmm. Because what you see is really part of the story, but there's so much more here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the work I do with people is being that mirror, wow. is, is helping them see like, hey, you're like a piece of gold that's been mined and you're rough around the edges, and I'm going to help you see that you're fucking gold. Okay? You're actually motherfucking gold. And all you see are the rough edges. But what I see is a fucking delicious resource. Like beauty. That can become anything. I love that. I love that so much. I love the way that you're talking about acceptance before love, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in that order, but it's like, accepting your subconscious for trying to help you when it was being formed, right? Until you're that age seven. And now it's still trying to help you in the best way it knows. Exactly. <laughs> it's not working anymore. Like that, those are outdated models. <laughs> it's like when you're a kid, you use plastic forks and spoons and shit to eat your food. Okay. We don't need to keep using those when we become adults and then trying to eat a steak dinner and being like, I can't get it. It doesn't work. Why this is, is this? And then beating this yourself up work. about it. Yes. And being like, I don't know how to use a knife. It's like, no, motherfucker, you need a new knife. You need a new knife. Let's make a new knife slowly. You actually have the mechanics to know how to use a knife. We just need a new instrument in there for you. Um Yeah. And I actually, this is why I think I'm such a big proponent of human design. And it's a core part of the work I do with people is, is human design work because that I think was like mirror, mirror on the wall for me and my journey. And for folks that are not familiar with human design yet, it is essentially the energetic blueprint of your human body. And follow me on this journey to a couple of beliefs that that come along with human design, which is that we, when we come into this lifetime, we choose certain things. We choose certain lessons we want to learn. We choose certain traits about ourselves. We basically have these superpowers that we come into this life with, but we are conditioned to believe those superpowers are actually sucky parts of us. Mm-hmm. And what human design did for me and what I'm seeing it do for a lot of people and it's kind of really starting to take off um, as a as a as a gift for humanity. Is reframing mm-hmm. these traits that I chose to come into this lifetime with as the superpowers that they are. So, for example, um, one of the things in my chart is that I have a drive to improve myself and everything around me, and that drive comes from the essence of joy mm-hmm. around improving things so that there's more joy in the experience of these things. I've spent a lot of years thinking that that was about control, Mm. thinking that that was related to uh, parts of my codependency patterns I learned about, 
thinking it was a bunch of shit I needed to fix, that it was not good. And in moments when it wasn't well received by someone, I, I started to internalize that as I'm too much. Mm. And then I would get small. Something that is one thing in like 4,000 things that human design can give us mm. that I have been able to release. And yeah, I do still need to check. Am I too much? Am I getting into someone else's space? Am I, um, you know, am I enabling? Am I doing, you know, mm. am I... Am I operating from an unhealthy place just kind of ethically, right? So I need, I need to check that. But it's given me some strategies of how to tune in with myself to say, do I want to offer this feedback? Do I want to offer this support? Do I want to offer this assistance? And now I, I, can, I can do that from a place that's more centered and grounded versus conditioned, which is I'm a type six in the Enneagram. And for those that aren't familiar with the Enneagram, um, we probably don't have time to get into that today, but what I want to highlight about the type six profile for me is doing most of what I did from a place of safety mm-hmm. and a need. We all have a need for safety, but there's a particular volume level for a type six that's like maxed out fucking high, okay. um, compared to all the other types. Mm-hmm. And so I would do things for people because I would think in the future when I'm not safe, you are going to be able to help me. And then that led into some codependency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's all kind of mixed in there. So now I can really tease that apart and say, no, I'm doing this because I genuinely want to and because I understand my worth and my value and because it's about joy. It's about joy. I love that. I, I enjoy. I surround myself by sexes, literally, mm. <laughs> because you guys always can see the future. And I'm literally like, mm, everything's going to be fine. And my husband is a six and he's like, no, it's not. We need to be prepared. And I'm like, yin and yang. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, take gender roles out of this. We are like a classic six and two combo. <laughs> so I love. <laughs> Wait, you said a six and two? You're yeah. Cool. Yeah. Oh, Although yeah. Okay. I think it's changing yeah. more to a seven as I'm going through my healing journey. I think of like, mm. I am actually curious. I don't want to go too deep in the Enneagram, but I feel like I have a shadow Enneagram and then a light Enneagram. And I'm curious if that resonates with you at all. Cause my shadow is for sure a two and my light version is for sure a seven. We could talk about this for days, but the mm-hmm. one thing I want to offer is I think um, what is happening during COVID is, is actually making the work of the Enneagram interesting in a whole new way Wow! because we're being forced to show up in ways and to use parts of us that might be a little bit unfamiliar in ways we really haven't had to do. And it's, it can be very disorienting for people in terms of the Enneagram landscape. Mm. And at any given moment, you can be pulling from any of the five of the nine types. Um, Cause you have your primary, your dominant type, you have your wings, and then you have your, um, your two lines of growth and stress. So any one of those five types, you can be leveraging the unhealthy average or healthy kind of traits of that type. So it's basically a fucking shit show right now is what I'm trying to say. I love it. For some people. <laughs> For some people. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, just for listeners, mm. um, I do want to do a little announcement that um, there's been – I have had a few – if you don't know what human design is, there's a few podcast episodes that I've recorded with Victoria Jane. I'll link them below. And um, you can pull your own human design chart. There's links in those um, – in the link below on how to pull that. And then also for the Enneagram, I'll link um, how to 
look up your Enneagram type, which is can be a journey to figure out. So take your time with that. <laughs> take your time. And also if you do, you know, maybe we won't work together and that's totally fine. You do you. If you do go into this path, um, the, the human design is not a new uh, mold for you to fit into. It is not a new aspiration for you to achieve. It is a tool to help you understand yourself and different parts of that tool will resonate with you at different times in your life. Mm -hmm. So just give yourself permission to take what works and leave what is not working right now. I love that. And, and just is be, what I'd like to say about that. I love that. Just be gentle with it. I'm re-engaging yeah. with Enneagram after like 10 years and it's like mm. so different. It's just so different. It's so different. Yeah. It's crazy. You're a different person. So different stuff is going to stand out. And I read the seven profile and I was like, that is me. Like, that's so crazy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Oh my gosh. And okay. So is there anything else about background upbringing that you want to share before we get into, I really want to get into your healing journey. Yeah. Which I think we've talked about a little bit. Yeah. Let's get into healing journey. And there's one thing that's kind of like uh, chomping at my ear. Um, if you have questions, we can start there. Otherwise, I'll say this thing that really Please. wants to be said. Please. This is like a non-obvious thing. Um, part of my healing journey was exacerbated by COVID. And um, I found myself uncoupling from a 16-plus year relationship and closing another business that we had and um, living on my own for the first time. Mm. So thank you, COVID, for that fucking just sidecar shift into my life. <laughs> Did you say 16 but, year relationship? Yeah. One six. Yeah. You guys had a quinceanera yeah, right. together. There's <laughs> <laughs> like, I love that. Like you're just turning 18 as a trans man. Like you were legal, you're finally legal. Like welcome to this world. And then on top of that, you like your marriage could have had a driver's license. Like just want to put that in the context. <laughs> You've lived a life. Ah, <laughs> uh, <damn. laughs> uh, what a gift that was, Sarah. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I know. And what is time now, anyway? Um, so concept. this is like a this. Yeah, this is an unexpected thing that showed up, and I want to share this with people because it's also, I think, going to be really scary for some folks. Um, I happen to move into a place that has a couple of mirrors, like big '80s closet door mirrors and a couple of bathroom mirrors. And um, I kind of found myself as I was in my, my journey with grief around that, staring at myself in the mirror. As I would kind of walk by, just catch my reflection. Mm -hmm. Be like, oh, oh, hello there. Oh, oh, it's you again. Oh, hi. And really kind of treated that process of during that grief time to grieve like I needed to. But what I want to sprout up here is I started to date myself mm. in a way I didn't know. And I'm sure there's all kinds of shit that people talk about dating yourself. I haven't read any of it. So I don't have any point of reference around that. But in part of that was listening to myself, hearing these parts of myself, being slow, being patient, being just curious, right? Um, coming from a place of what I like to call Observe, don't absorb. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Observe, don't absorb. So it's being curious about what's coming up. Like, oh, you want to do this thing? That's weird, Calvin. You've never wanted to do this thing. 
I could get into that space of judging that. What does it mean to do this thing? You've never wanted to do that before, whatever. But instead, following that, what what does that urge want to teach me? What does that drive want to teach me? And the mirror thing was that. And I was like, what? Do you want to look at yourself in the mirror? Why? <laughs> really looking at myself in the mirror, in my, in my goddamn eyeballs. Just me and my eyeballs and me and my eyeballs, back and forth, back and forth. And then I would find myself having these moments of like, I kind of want to smile right now. And I would smile and I would see myself. Mm-hmm. I would sit in front of the mirror and I would cry. Mm-hmm. And just look at myself crying, whatever, right? Noticing things about my body, not observing, not bringing judgment, not being like, I see your belly roll or whatever this shit is, or like you need a haircut or whatever. Really mm-hmm. fucking looking at my human body and telling myself, I chose this body when I came here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a menu up there in the other world. And I said, I want these fucking parts. Mm -hmm. And I'm coming to this earth to have this experience in this human body. I'm taking responsibility for that. Mm. I am not forcing myself to be something I am not because this is part of my experience. Wow. That's liberation. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Right? That's fucking liberation. And it's almost like that acceptance and then loving. Like you're literally observing, which is the acceptance. Right. And then you're not absorbing the judgment, which is like the step between, right? And now, I don't know now, but like I'm assuming that you've kind of blossomed into a little self-love romance. And I didn't realize until the separation, how much shame I was carrying around being trans. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Because I'm actually very open about my experience. I'll tell whatever. Mm -hmm. I talk talk about my experience. People ask me questions. I'll say whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. I love to educate about that. Mm -hmm. But I had a belief that no one else would love me if I didn't stay in my marriage because I'm trans. Mm -hmm. Also, because I'm kind of a picky eater. But that was, (laughs) you know, the two things. I was like, mm. You're kind of a picky eater. No one's going to date you. Um, and I was like, nobody's going to love me. So I was like, no one's going to date you because you're a picky eater. So like, couldn't even get to love. Just like at dating, they're going to bounce out. Um, but I've been working on that. Like, mm, yes, I'm having a new relationship and a new renaissance with food. Um, but I thought nobody would love me because I'm trans. Mm. I would tell people that, but I couldn't see the shame in it. I could not connect with the shame in there. And it wasn't until, you know, many months after my separation. And I developed a pretty strong crush on a cis straight woman. Mm. And as this crush is kind of developing and we were uh, friends, we still are friends, um, a little voice came in my head and said, Calvin, uh, this voice said, if I was a real guy, I would be handling this crush differently. Mm. And that the other voice of Calvin came in and said, oh, Calvin, buddy, we got to talk about that. <laughs> Where is that from? Who has said this to you? What is up here, dude? So that's a real life example of what it looks like to have, have a whack-a-mole thought come in your head that's actually kind of intrusive and unpleasant. And then just be curious about it, right? Okay, I have this thought. The thought doesn't make me a bad person, Mm. but there's wisdom in there. I need to 
excavate and uncover. Mm-hmm. And, and what is this trying to tell me? Mm-hmm. And what it told me was that, and I spent some days with this and, you know, I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I don't need to figure out right now, but I know you're here. So we're going to see what, what comes out. And sometime later, uh, as these things do, my uh, confession of a crush came out mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, she was like, thank you so much. I don't feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And this fear of being rejected for being trans was right in my face. Um, and I sat with that and I realized I was carrying 20 year old pain mm-hmm. from the trans community, from feeling like, you know, we weren't going to have a, a life or a future that we weren't going to have jobs or communities or any of this. And, and in a kind of a Hail Mary attempt to love ourselves, we embarked on this trans journey, mm. whether we were going to be loved or not. And I was still carrying that pain, mm. even though I actually did not have real life experience to validate that story. Mm. I don't have any experience to my knowledge of being you know, rejected mm-hmm. for that reason. Mm-hmm. And my previous partner had zero experience in the queer ecosystem before meeting me. And our relationship was on again, off again, non-monogamous. And um, I had lots of, I had more first time, I have more first timers under my belt than everything combined. Mm. So I don't have that lived experience, but I was carrying that. And the beauty that that crush gave me was to let that go, right? To liberate that. And I also just want to celebrate like how beautifully she held that information and it made our friendship, I think, stronger mm-hmm. today for that. That's incredible. And just like, we need more people that are doing that. Like I got turned down today for a date in a really beautiful way. And I was just like, thank you for being like, thank you for your very kind, flattering, gracious, no thank you. Um, you know, great. So we just need more of that. That's, that's a side note. And now I'm like, I think I'm 10 tangents in on your original question. I love this story because what's coming up for me is attachment style. I don't know how deep into attachment style you've gone. Um, but it sounds to me like when we are dating and I am going to make a lot of gross generalizations here, but come, come along this journey with me. I feel like I have seen a vast majority secure, fearful, avoidant, even dismissive, avoidant women, whatever you are women become very anxious when they date and it's in mm-hmm. it's in disney from growing up it's just planted in our brains at a really young age and like even the most secure person i have seen will come to me and be like do you think this guy likes me if he doesn't mm-hmm. like me my whole fucking world is going to be rocked like it's it it becomes no longer is this a good fit for both of us instead it becomes if he doesn't like me that means i'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. Yeah. I'm not smart. At, whatever it is, right? It's all and that self worth. Yeah. It's all that self worth. And what you're talking about here, and I love this because you have experience in both genders, mm-hmm. is you're talking about becoming so secure within yourself that the rejection from someone else has no bearing whatsoever on who you are as a human being. And that is like ultimate, right? And really, I think, I mean, oh, does the ego get sliced and bleed? Fuck sure. <laughs> okay. Oh, yes. Do we need a 911 emergency kit sometimes? Fuck yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But underneath that pain is information if we want it. So is there actually something useful there that I want to take? Not that I feel like you are imposing on me, but that would be helpful for my own growth. So can that pain also have some bounty, right? I, I'm a firm believer at this point in my life and all the fucking shit I've been through in my life that there is beauty on the other side of pain if we want to see it. Mm, I love that. I love that. It's fucking there. Mm. Yeah. If we want to see it, it's there for us, man. Mm. But we get in our own way, right? We get in our own way. We get stuck in the mud. But here's the deal, peeps. Mud is fucking dirt and water. Okay, it's two things. It is dirt and water. <laughs> and we let this shit weigh us down like it is cement. Yeah. It's dirt and water. It's just dirt and water. Go take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> Go take a shower. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, my gosh. Okay, so anything else about healing journey? I feel like we're talking, we've talked about your divorce. Yeah. The other thing um, I'll say about I the really healing journey think- thing is I've, oh, yeah. I've been doing a lot of um, soul retrievals and uh, a friend of mine recommended this book called Soul Retrieval by mm. Sandra Ingram. I got, I don't know, I got partially oh, way through that and just went to Yelp and started yelping shamans. And I was like, this is fucking for me. Quick overview on soul retrieval is that essentially when our bodies, our human bodies experience trauma, a piece of our soul can leave our body to survive that trauma. Um, In therapy, I think they call this disassociation. The more parts of our soul that are Mm. out of our body, the less authentic as a human being we are. And we fill that with other shit. Sugar, Instagram, sex, working, fitness, whatever. We, we, We have to plug that hole somehow. And so what Solar Table does is a shaman or other trained energy person will go on a energetic journey with your spiritual posse and they'll find these parts of you and they'll bring them back to you. Um, sometimes you get a couple, sometimes it's one, every experience is a little bit different. And why I think this work is so powerful is, is like, if I'm an iPhone, soul retrieval is updating the apps and the operating system in the background. It's bringing healing in a way that is not talk Mm -hmm. therapy because For some people, when there's so much shame and there's so much fill in the blank, other shit, going to talk therapy, it is not a format that will work. And it's kind of hard to find a therapist that works for you, even if therapy is your jam, right? I mean, talk about dating. You got to really find Mm -hmm. that therapist that you're like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I want to give you my problems and my money. Um, And so so (laughs) I love soul retrieval for that reason, because- it's not 100% passive, but in terms of a lot of the other healing approaches out there, it's one of them. Yeah. You got to just show up and be calm. I love that. I just, I love that. I just did. I love um, relating kind of the therapy to the spiritual practice of it because I think using, for me, I found using Obviously, mm-hmm. for some people, one works better than the other. That's great. Do you? For me, mixing both. And actually, they so say powerful. they say both they is really the powerhouse power. because when these parts of you are not home, mm-hmm. like in your spirit, in your body, then the therapist is talking to a part of you that isn't home. So you're actually not getting the information that you mm-hmm. and the real benefits from what the therapist has to offer. 
because that part of you is just not there to receive it. So when we reintegrate these parts of us, right, when, yeah. we, when these parts of us come back online um, to stay in our Silicon Valley metaphor here, when they come back online, it quiets the noise. The more we get these parts of us back online, the less white noise we have in the way of hearing our intuition. And things just naturally become kind of easier. Like it's kind of hard to describe how I'm just kind of making different decisions. And if the brain comes in and starts to analyze why we're throwing money down the drain and time down the drain, because you're not allowing that magic to really come through. Mm. You're not allowing the integration, that work to come through, right? The point is for you to do shit differently. So if we're questioning why and how, and we're trying to pull back into this place we think is safe, you know, it's not a good use of everybody's time and resources really. Yeah. 100%. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for saying that about a talk therapy. I relate to that so much. I used to, I mean, I've been in therapy for like, I've spent eight years in therapy, maybe more. And like, I just, I would get to a point and then I would just say what they wanted to hear or what I thought I could handle. You know what I mean? Cause I just wasn't in this safe space. And like, yes, it is, it is the relationship with your therapist, but, um, I really, yeah, it can be, it can be really, really, really healing. And then it can also just be a lot of (laughs) energy wasted. And And I think just reminding ourselves to be gentle with our healing, right? And we're we're a culture that's like, Mm. "Mm, feeling, got to do a thing, got to do a thing right away. Got to fix it, got to fix it. Can't have the feeling. But these feelings are coming up because they want to come out. They want liberation too. and. They might need a little time. You know, we have to relearn a relationship with these parts of us that we've cut ourselves off from. We don't know them. Um, and and so I, I take my clients through what I call the memory meet and greet uh, TM. I don't know. Just don't, I don't want to people. <laughs> Love that. Um, it's, not, it's not revolutionary work, right? It's, it's pulling in parts work with a couple of other things, but it's embodying this feeling we don't like, really noticing where it is in the body, what that feels like, where it is, how it shows up, getting into what are, what are some of the earliest memories we have with this feeling. And this is where people are like, ah, fuck, no, I don't want to visit that. That's why I'm drinking. That's why I'm working, right? But I'm here to support. So what are the earliest memories? What are they here to teach us? Teach you, really, right? What are they protecting you from? What are they trying to tell you? Is this really yours to hold? As kids, we end up we we end up sponging up so many people's bullshit. Our parents or whatever, right? Um, I mean, it was just my birthday recently, and I was thinking about how birthdays have kind of been for me traditionally, and I have a lot of sadness around birthdays from my childhood. And I did my little memory meet and greet with myself. And I started to go back to some of these birthdays and I was like, all right, you know, old Calvin's, what do you have to teach me? Um, and sometimes when I do that, I like to just like take a moment and just pour some out for the old me's, you know, all the old me's that fucking worked so hard or impossible situations that kids are not prepared for, or partners are not prepared for, or parents are not prepared for, or, you know, whatever, you're in impossible situations that you're not prepared for and you show up and you do the best you can. 
And then with our more wiser selves, we go back and we judge these parts of us and we shame them and we say, what the fuck were you thinking? Or how could you let that happen? Or what were you doing? But it's like, yo, dog, if you knew better then, you would have done better then. But you did the best you could. So it's about, you know, thanking these parts. So getting into that place and I, I, um, uh, if my parents listen to this, it might be hard to hear, but I think it's worth it. Uh, realizing that my parents carried shame around our poverty and around the birthdays they could not give us and the experiences they could not offer us. And so this sentence came to my head, which is still pretty powerful. And it's that they served their shame and sadness with birthday cake to me. And I, I carried that. I picked that up. And so when we go back to these memories and we get to know them, these old parts of ourselves, there is a moment where we need to recognize, is that actually mine to carry? And it may not be. And if it is, we can kind of keep going and figure out what information and wisdom is there for us to have. And then we can get to a place where we can thank that part of us for what it did and how it kept us safe and you know what it did for us. And we can release that. Or maybe we can invite that part of us to show up for us in a new way that we have today. And it's these little things that we can do one by one and we can start to excavate. And then over time, the background noise becomes a little softer. And, and that is really where the love for ourselves comes in. And it starts to happen naturally because we are now seeing these parts of ourselves and we are holding them and we are saying, damn, you are a fucking soldier. Or you are yeah. fill in the blank, whatever works for you. Yeah. So that's how we stop bullying these old parts of ourselves and we start believing them. We have to get down on their level and bring them in and see them and say, I believe you and your experience that was real and it was painful. That's so good. I love what you keep hitting on with this like background noise because this, I've reached kind of a new level in my own work where Mm. everything's just moving faster. Like, Today, getting ready for this interview, yeah. it takes 30 minutes. Usually, right. it takes an hour and a half. <laughs> and, and every night I do um, a, a kind of end of day journal exercise. It used to take two hours. Right. Now it takes 30 minutes. And it's just like, I'm done. And I'm like, yeah. what do I do now with all this extra time that I have on my hands? I'm like, mm-hmm. what? Like, I didn't know this was going to happen as yeah. part of my journey. And when it's we grow so up cool. in chaos and we grow up in unsafety, we can often feel safe in chaos and safety. So when those moments of peace come, we're like, oh, this means the other shoe is going to drop. Shit's going to go down. I need to armor up for the next thing. And that's the place of discomfort that I want to invite people to make a new choice around and say, that's a reward. Treat yourself yes. to this piece. Take a bath. Take a, right. take a nap. And it is going to feel weird, but trust that the other shoe is not going to drop. And look, on occasion, it might because that's life. But operate from the place of, you know, when once I recognized I am not in danger anymore, and I really fucking recognized that. Mm. And by the way, I didn't get to that conclusion on my own. Mm-hmm. I had a really powerful healer very aggressively tell me that over Zoom, like in my face. 
<laughs> shouting at me, basically. And I, you know, that's, I like that style. Like, I, I, I just, I want you to give it to me. Uh, that's not a style that works for everybody. And that's not a style I mm. use with all of my clients that some people like that. Some people don't, but yeah, man, just, I'm not in danger anymore. I don't have to keep using a plastic kid's fork to eat my adult meals. Mm. I don't. Mm. I don't. It's so beautiful. It's a choice. It's so, so beautiful. You you have really helped me own my story mm. of coming from an abusive family, mm. having an abusive father, a beautiful codependent mother that was – everyone was just right. trying their dang best, you know? <laughs> They weren't teenagers, but they were early 20s, very young. <laughs> and we just, we grew up poor. And the way that you talk about it, I'm like, well, Calvin yes. said it so I can say it. Like it feels oh, so thank good. Thank you for saying so that. Yeah. I, uh, I'm leaning into my gift of being able to reframe things. And I just think it's so important that we, we let go of these stories that just really weigh us down. The brain doesn't know the difference between a real experience and an imaginary one. And when we play these scenarios out in our head about worst case scenario and all the fucked up things that can happen, we're sending real signals to our nervous system because it thinks it's going to be real. It thinks it is real. And, you know, I see that as a form of bullying ourselves now. That is my new frame. And I, I look at that to say, is this how I want to treat my body? by worrying about scenarios I actually have no control over. Mm. Now there's a difference between like, let me be prepared for some shit and like make sure I've got a couple things I need in the event of, um, and then there's like really going down the rabbit hole. Right. So here's a, here's a non-scary example of that. Um, yeah. I, uh, I date everybody and I'm on, uh, apps for everybody. And, I connect with this gentleman. We have a really great connection. We agree we're going to meet up. And then I go to do a nightly meditation. And we can have a whole other conversation about meditation and how I was so anti and I don't think I'm good at it and all these other things. Um, so if anybody is on that boat around meditation, the breathing helps, the meditation works. I've been such a skeptic, but I'm on board now. And I have a whole thought process around like the shit we're taught meditation should be and what it actually can be. Um, anyways, I'm doing my little nightly wind down routine and I kind of just open my heart a little bit and, uh, which was really new for me in that moment to do. And I just create space for something beautiful to happen, whatever that might be, just like universe, bring me some beauty with this gorgeous person that I am vibing with right now. And then like a fucking NASCAR, this thought comes like into my brain mm -hmm. And it goes, all right, and now we're going to write the scene. Okay, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then you're going to say, and then, and I was like, whoa, okay, time out. Um, and I, I was like, pause your body. And by the way, I say pause your body because my friend says this to her toddler instead of stop. Like, instead of stop running or like stopping your book, <laughs> she just says pause your body. And I was like, mm, uh, yes, I want that. So boom, here comes this so NASCAR, good. this let's write I the screenplay. Like and I just say, pause your body, Calvin. And then I say to myself, hey, Calvin, we don't do that anymore. That's not what we do. We don't get attached to these kinds of outcomes and write stories for things we can't predict. We're going to just live in the moment and see what happens. Daily practice. Daily practice, right? 
there's many years of that NASCAR coming in and wreaking havoc on my brain. Daily practice. But these are the small things that when we just give ourselves a little break from Instagram, give ourselves a little break from Netflix, we have capacity to actually hold. And I'm not saying, oh, get off the grid and do all this shit and like change yourself overnight. Um, But I am saying just make different choices when you can. Just experiment. Just experiment. See what happens. Yeah. That's so good. So good. (laughs) Okay. So we're at the hour mark. So I do, um, we should kind of wrap it up a little bit here. I know I, we, we Uh, could go on. I'll I'll be back anytime. Um, We can go deep on like one topic and just, it'll run with it. (laughs) So anything else that you want to share with us on healing or, um, kind of practices for listeners Mm -hmm. on their own? I think I really just want to encourage people to recognize that we cannot use the same thinking that got us here to get out of here. And there are so many of us that think we can think our way out of where we are. And sometimes that's true, but most times it really requires accessing the heart. It really does. And There's a bunch of healers on my website that you can take a look at that I've personally worked with. Um, And I want to invite you to not judge a healer by their website because they have other gifts. (laughs) And so my intention, (laughs) my intention (laughs) around collecting all of these beautiful, magical healers that do everything from, you know, the solar system to the nervous system is that you have some trust there to know what's up and, you know, reach out to me if you're kind of thinking about whatever, you know, I, my goal is that I, I am living in a place of liberation now. I never knew was possible. And every day it's a process for me. And every day it's a reminder of how to be kind to myself and how to take responsibility for my choices and accountability for my choices. Um, And I just want other people to have any increased percentage of that they can have in their life, whatever that looks like in whatever way is possible. Because by all statistical measures, I should be in jail. I should be homeless. I should be, but I'm not like a magical special person that got something other people don't have. What I did get were people coming across my path that held a mirror up to me and said, I see the gold you are. That's what I got. And I'm here to just be that to others. Zach, <laughs> if you are out there, you need to come. Zach, to we met at the Cat Club in San okay? Francisco. You're an angel? don't even know what year. Uh, maybe 20 years ago, 19 something. <laughs> Do you know an angel? Exactly. Yeah, like I know. So thank life. you for that. <laughs> uh, what a delight to be here, Sarah. Thank you so much for this conversation. Oh my and God. Are you kidding? Yeah. I'm like learning so much. Oh, yeah, That's great. So how can we get um, in touch with you? In healingwetrust.com. And uh, you can go learn a little bit about my story. Mm-hmm. Um, most of that has been disclosed here. And then Instagram at inhealingwetrust. 
Yeah. And I'm going to, I've got some stuff coming out in the future. I'm going to be doing um, kind of a new take on book clubs uh, where you basically need to make a contribution to the book club and that can be financial or otherwise. And then when you finish the book and the book club, you get it back. So it's a way that you, you are setting what will help hold you accountable. So whatever that is, you're like, "Mm, I'd rather not lose that, but it shouldn't be so much that it feels like a handcuff. And then it'll be private groups. And it'll be a private Slack channel. And um, so we're just, and I'll, I'll facilitate each week and you bring forward what you learned from that. And the first book we're going to do is called The Courage to Be Disliked, which I think is a really powerful book. Um, so yeah, there'll be information about that on my website and other, yeah, I think I, I, I'm going to do some monthly classes and really just finding ways to give these skills to people and then work one-on-one with folks that want deeper support and more kind of tactical guidance around that. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I highly recommend working with Calvin. He's he's helped me through a lot of stuff along the way that we've known each other for such a Mm, short time. So I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your vulnerable story. I, I really hope that it inspires too, others. Man. Yeah. Take what serves you. Get these nuggets. All right. Thank you, Sarah. That's so good. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed. If you have a moment and you're in the Apple Podcast app, please rate and review the show. I could really use all the ratings I can get. <laughs> And share this episode with a friend that may benefit from it. You never know. And of course, hit subscribe to keep up with new weekly episodes. Until next week, visit sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com to find other podcast episodes. And you can find Lit AF on Instagram at it's me, Sarah Cohan. And you can also find me on Clubhouse. Thank you again for listening. Please stay lit, lit AF, and I hope to see you back here next week.